I do hope if you have your scriptures with you that you'll turn to Acts chapter 9. They will be on the overhead. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 9, that'll give me just a second. To, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for all the choirs and musicians we have in our church. Are we not truly blessed? And, uh, and I hope and pray that we are developing a spirit of worshipfulness in the church. Um, again, I know all of us have different tastes in music, but it blessed my soul. I know I started singing when I was supposed to be not singing, but when the piano and the organist kind of gave us that little, what do you call it, interlude before that last stanza, holy, holy, holy. And it reminded me of when I was in seminary, when we would have chapel services. They had a, a great big old chapel and a great big old pipe organ. And the lady that played it was, she, she just knew how to play the thing. And kind of like Gilda and Betty Ray playing the piano, she could just get up there. She didn't need music. She just took off. And between the, the last, uh, before the last verse of a hymn, she would do that same thing. She would just go off and everybody would just sit there in awe. And you'd think that the ceiling tiles were going to fall down because she was jamming on that thing and it was so loud. But here's my whole point. By the time we got finished singing, I felt like I was getting ready to walk through the gates of heaven. And folks, I know that's just expressing emotion, but man, I believe when we, we get ready to cross into heaven, we're going to be singing. Man, we're going to be happy. We made it. Uh, I was talking with my youngest daughter yesterday, and, and, and not, I'm not thinking about dying real soon or anything, but I said, I was talking about somebody's age, and I said, you know, I, I'm on the last leg of my journey. And she said, Daddy, well, how do you feel about that? I said, I'm happy, and I'm, tr- I'm being truthful about this. And I, I'm not saying that you ought to feel the way that I am. Folks, I want to live a whole lot longer. Uh, but, folks, the price has been paid for us. We've been redeemed. And all we got to do is wait for the moment that the Lord says, come on home. But you know what he's wanting us to do? He's wanting us to be people that worship him, praise him, and people that bear witness to him. And I pray that we're going to do that. And I pray even in these moments we'll take advantage of hearing the word of God, not because I'm the pastor standing here. This is the word of God. And, and God's made an appointment to meet with us. Now, we can meet with him any place, any time, any day of the week. I know that. But God has set aside a time to meet with all of us as a group, and he's right here right now. So let's hear him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be people that know you in a deep and a personal way. And that our knowledge of you comes, first of all, from our one-on-one personal experience with you. And I thank you, too, Father, that you've given us your word so that we can read of how you worked in other people's lives. And I thank you, too, for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that is here, Lord, to teach us the truth from the word of God. And so I just pray, Father, that in these moments ahead that you'll be in our midst. Father, that you'll speak to every heart. I pray for us as Christians, Father, that we would be strengthened and given, Lord, new spiritual energy and might to leave this place today and go out and serve you and to touch others' lives with your love. And, Father, I pray again that if there's someone here that's thinking about a decision about trusting Christ as Savior and wondering if you are real and if you can really give them eternal life, And that if you can truly give them release and forgiveness of sin, 
Lord, I just pray that you'll help them as you did Paul that day on the road to Damascus to meet you in person. Father, we give these moments ahead to you, and we just pray that you'll take charge. And, Lord, that we will hear a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. For a couple of months now, we've been studying about God giving people second chances. And again, a quick review. I want to do this because I want you and I to see that this is a pattern set in Scripture, that the Bible is full of people to whom God gave second chances. And again, I keep repeating this list. And folks, this is just scratching the surface. God gave Peter and the disciples a second chance. Jonah, the prophet, a second chance. The woman at the well, a second chance. The woman caught in adultery. And for the last two Sundays, we've been studying about Saul of Tarsus, whom God gave a second chance. Next Sunday, we're going to start looking, and it'll probably just be for two Sundays. We're going to look in Second Samuel chapter. 12. And if you'll make a mental note of that or jot that down on your bulletin, 2 Samuel chapter 12, that's where we're headed. And we're going to find out about King David who, who, who momentarily, because of desires of his flesh, made some very, very bad decisions. And he turned away from God, but God gave him a second chance. And to and the finalize all this, in probably three weeks, we're going to look at ourselves. What second chance do you and I need with our God, with our Lord? And he wants to give us a second chance. It might be to trust him as Savior. It might be to to be the husband or wife or daughter or son that you and I need to be. It might mean being the witness that God wants us to be, the faithful church member that God wants us to be. But God gives us second chances. Praise his holy name. But folks, let me read this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. Please follow along with me. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Now, listen to this. Hearing the voice but seeing no one. Paul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, and folks, listen to this. And this sounds so very simple. Here I am, Lord. You and I need to recall in our minds how many people throughout Scripture, beginning with Abraham, on through the New Testament, that we hear when God speaks, that obedient person says, Here am I. Here am I, Lord. Back to Acts 9. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, 
Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen, underscore that word, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed Jesus saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called on his name? And he has come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Folks, I want to give again a brief summary of the last two weeks. This man, Paul, before he met the resurrected Lord on the Damascus Road. And again, we mentioned these last week. He was caught up in his personal pride and his self-righteousness. He thought he could get to heaven because of who he was. He was a persecutor of the church, the people of the way. He was a leader of the church's first widespread persecution. He was killing, imprisoning, intimidating the early church. He was a man who was trained, and Steve, if you go to the next one. He was a man who was trained in man-made theology but didn't know the living God. And let me stop for just a moment and ask this question. Folks, this is the difference between being a religious person and being a Christian. You see, a religious person is trained in some type of Christian or, or religious thought. And you and I can have all the man-made theology in our head, but if we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart, we are lost according to the word of God. And Paul, in his own words, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, Paul describes himself as the chief sinner. And when the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of our heart and we see what a sinner we are, remember Paul said, I was a greater sinner than anybody else on the face of the earth, but Jesus Christ met me and saved me. And I want to mention once again that Paul's conversion is given three times in the book of Acts. In Acts 9 that we've read, Luke records this and probably Paul told it to him himself. But also in Acts 22 and Acts 26, in Acts 22, Paul is defending his faith before a crowd in Jerusalem that wants to kill him. And then in Acts 26, he is defending himself and his faith before King Agrippa. And then later on in the little book of Philippians in chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, he, he tells about his life before receiving Christ. And again, I've asked that you keep two verses in mind as we study about Paul's life and about his conversion. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And Paul really experienced this. The old man had passed away, the new man began 
at the road to Damascus experience. And also Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is a power, the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who has faith to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So this morning we pick up actually in verse 4. But let me mention again, why does Paul experience this light? And again, as we concluded last week, throughout especially the Old Testament, the presence of God is known by light or lightning or dazzling light. Folks, the glory of God is seen in in the manifestation of light. And folks, Jesus himself says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. And folks, last week and this week, we don't have it on the screen, but you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration is, as Peter, James, and John are able to, to, to see the presence of Jesus with his resurrected uh, glory before he came to this earth. And folks, I hope some of you aren't saying, what are you talking about right now? You remember that Jesus was given the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration that he had in heaven before he came back to earth. And Matthew tells us this, he was transfigured before him, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Folks, listen, there was no doubt that Paul was in the presence of the living God And more than anything else, that he was in the presence of the resurrected and glorified Lord. And again, remember, Paul had been persecuting and killing Christians. Why? Because they had been proclaiming that Jesus had been crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb, but he had been raised from the dead. And Paul is saying, that's a lie. It cannot be true. We know that Jesus was put to death. How can he be alive? But folks, in Acts 9, guess what Paul finds out? This light surrounds him, and he falls to the ground in verse 4. He doesn't have a heat stroke. He's not, it's not an attack of epilepsy or any other physical disability. Paul fell to the ground. Why? Because he is in the presence of the living Lord. And folks, think about this for just a second. Here Paul is meeting with the living, resurrected Christ. No wonder Paul would later write in Philippians 2.10. And look at this on the screen, Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Folks, when we stand in the presence of the Lord, our first response will be to kneel in humility in his presence. And folks, listen, in verse 4, not only does Paul see the light, but he also hears a voice. And remember, again, a dead Jesus wouldn't be able to speak. So here Paul realizes that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. And listen to what the voice says to Paul. He calls him by name. And again, you and I know that Saul, they later changed his name to Paul. Paul. So here in Acts 9, Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Folks, I want to point a couple of things out. First of all, the Lord knows each one of us by name. How can he know that? Because he is our creator. And let me quote the words that God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Do you and I fully realize that before our parents named us, God knew our name? Isn't that remarkable? Is that, you know, I'm just not standing up here trying to talk like a preacher or sound like a preacher. Is this not remarkable that this man who had persecuted the church, the Lord now is coming to him in love, calling him by name, and listen to what Jesus asked Paul. Paul, why do you persecute me? Now, folks, that begs a question. Why did Jesus not say, why do you persecute me? my people, my children, and my church. Think about this for just a second. Why do you persecute me? And folks, this is a very significant question for this reason. It shows the union of Christ with his church and with every believer. And when Paul was persecuting believers, he was persecuting who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And let me point a verse out to you in John chapter 14, verse 20. Listen to this, John 14, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Folks, listen to what this is saying. When you and I are a part of the body of Christ, we are joined into Christ. And and that might not sound like a significant statement, but folks, let me point something out. There is a concept in Paul's preaching and teaching that is evident in every one of the books that he writes. It's called being in Christ. When you and I trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are in Christ. Paul never was the same after meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road because he became in Christ. Remember again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. And folks, as you do Bible reading and devotionals, it will amaze you how many times Paul talks about being in Christ or being in union with Christ. And folks, again, this you can just take this and preach it in any direction. Listen, because we're in Christ, that means that we'll never be without Christ. He is always going to be with us. I want to share a story with you. This actually happened this morning. I normally get over here pretty early on Sunday mornings to be by myself for a little while, to go over my notes, to make sure that I've got everything ready, just to have some time to spend by myself. And I'm saying that just to tell you what happened this morning. I was going around unlocking the doors, cutting on the lights, and I got over to the new building and started going down into the basement, and there were some noises, and, and noises that I hadn't heard before. And and I don't know, you know, there's a bunch of spooky and scary stuff on the TV right now, right? In preparation for Halloween. And, and you know, the world loves to have these movies about demon possession and demons and all this kind of stuff. And look, you got to be here by yourself in the dark to really understand what I'm trying to say. And I thought, I wonder if there's any demons in the church. He, Come over here one night. I'll give you a key and just walk through this place in the dark and see if you don't feel that way. But you know something that always overwhelmed me? It doesn't make any difference if there is. is Who else is here? The Lord Jesus is with me. He's with you. And that might seem so silly, but folks, this is what Paul found out. 
When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, guess what? Jesus never, ever abandoned him or left him. When you and I came one of the children of God, God will never, ever abandon us. We are in Christ Jesus. And this is so very important. And so Jesus says to Paul, why do you persecute me? And, and listen to Paul's question in verse 5. And I think this comes spontaneously. And he says, who are you, Lord? I believe he might have yelled that out. Who are you? Folks, here, the chief sinner, the persecutor of the church, is given the privilege to address the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. What a privilege. You know, God could have struck him down, just wiped him out. God could have sent his hit team and taken Paul out. But God meets him. And when he says, who are you? Jesus responds. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Folks, how do you think he said that? In in an angry, mean way or in a way that let Paul know, I love you. Have you ever had the courage to ask Jesus who he is? And I'm saying that to a person that might not yet have accepted him as Savior. Listen, he'll tell you. If you just ask him, he wants you to know. He wants you to know his love and his salvation. But folks, to Paul's utter amazement, Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He was crucified. You know, there's something that the Bible is silent on, and I've often wondered, and I don't even know how to address this and how to even figure any of this out. But I'm assuming that Paul had to be a young man or even a boy during the time that Jesus was ministering in Jerusalem. But their their paths never crossed. I know that God had a divine purpose in that. But I'm sure that all that had taught him and all that Paul had been around, all he ever heard about Jesus of Nazareth is that he was a liar. He was a, a scoundrel. He, he tried to lead a bunch of people to follow him, and they put him to death on the cross. Thank goodness he's dead and gone. He should be. But now Paul meets this resurrected Lord. And Paul again knows that this man was crucified and put to death. He was put in a grave, but now he is alive. And I'm wondering how Paul began to feel. I've been putting to death those followers of Jesus that testified that he had died on the cross, but he was living again. And I think about the words that that Stephen had uttered, that Paul had heard before Stephen was stoned to death. Listen again. This is back in Acts 7. Just listen as I read this. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus sitting at the right hand. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And Paul suddenly realizes they were telling the truth. All of them, the ones that I've been killing, the ones I've been imprisoning, the ones I've been beating up, the churches that I've destroyed, they were telling the truth. Is this not a remarkable story? But Jesus says, I'm the one whom you've been persecuting. Again, think, Paul thought that he had been serving God, and in reality, he had been persecuting the Messiah. And here's what Paul is struck with. If Jesus is alive, then he is got to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world. 
And Paul has got something that he must do. He must repent and believe. Folks, why is seeing Christ and hearing him speak so important to the Apostle Paul? First of all, it revealed to Paul that Jesus truly was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And, and, and again, I'm running out of time, and I'll finish this tonight. But as you look back in the passage of Scripture, immediately in, in, in verse 20, as Paul begins to testify in the synagogues in Damascus, what does he say about Jesus? He is the Son of God. And later on in verse 22, he tells them that Jesus is the Christ. And folks, let me tell you another reason why it is so very, very important that Paul saw the resurrected Lord. This made him an apostle. And you know, for years I did not understand this. How could certain men be determined apostles? Well, back in Acts chapter 1 verse 22, an apostle was qualified by being a witness of the resurrected Lord. To qualify as an apostle. Now, I know there are a lot of people in our day say, I'm an apostle. Well, folks, not by the biblical definition. Because, and again, in Acts 1.23, to be an apostle meant that you witnessed the resurrected Lord. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. As Paul is listing people who met the resurrected Lord, listen to this. Then he appeared to the James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As one of untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know what Paul is saying? I saw the resurrected Lord. And again, folks, just pause and think about this. Look at what God did for Paul in the midst of Paul's sin and rebellion against God. Jesus came to where Paul was and gave him salvation. And folks, as I close, this is my thought to you. If the chief of sinners can be saved, why not you? And why not me? And I want to tell you, by the authority of the word of God and the witness of the Apostle Paul, there is not anyone beyond the point of salvation if they'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, as I was going to Durham, I was listening to K-Love. I'd heard this song many, many times before when Mercy found me. And, and I know perhaps if, if you're my age, you might not listen to K-Love too often. Uh, but I, I'd been thinking that day about the message and about what Paul experienced. And then I heard this song. Let me just read these words to you. When Mercy found me. I can't count the broken roads I've been down, but all I know, something had to give, something had to give. Because living my life so wild and free finally caught up. Oh, it left me broken, left me hopeless. But that's where I met Jesus. In one moment, everything changed. Is that not incredible? In one moment, everything changed. Who I was got washed away. When mercy found me, my Savior's arms were open wide and I felt love for the very first time when mercy found me. All those days, all those doubts, they don't seem to matter now. His grace is all I need. And the chains 
that I was in before, they don't hold me anymore. His love has rescued me. His love has set me free. My mind found peace. My soul found hope. My heart found a home when mercy found me. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's testimony. And Lord, help each one of us to see that even though Paul's life was in many ways different from us, Lord, that as Paul would write in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It was not Paul just because he was the chief sinner, but it's each one of us who needs a Savior. Because, again, all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But, Father, thank you. Thank you that even though the the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that day that Paul met the resurrected Lord. And I just pray that if there's anyone in here who has not yet met you, Father, that today... Mercy would find them, and may they turn in faith to your Son and desire to repent of their sin and believe that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Father, thank you again that you'll not turn anyone away who comes to you. And I just pray, Father, in these moments of invitation that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 416, Let Jesus come into your heart. Has the Lord been knocking on the door of your heart, but you've been just giving all sorts of barriers or reasons not to trust him? As the Spirit of God leads you today, would you let Jesus come into your heart? Let's stand as we sing. May the Spirit of God lead you. Let us stand. <laughs>